The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian nutritionist and mom to one. And this is Meaningful Living, a community to make parenting and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. Every week, we talk to experts, parents, and answer your questions to share the practical tips and real side of parenting we all need. Because when you remove the doubt, fear, and stress from everyday decisions, you create more time for the meaningful moments. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. All right, today we are in studio with Katie. This is so fun. We get to talk about sleep. I feel like this is such a huge topic, not only for newborns, but also even toddler ages. And if you don't know Katie, Katie is our incredible nanny who has just completely shaped the way we parent, honestly, and given us so many tools. And And one tool that has completely changed our life is the sleeping tools that she gave us. And so I'm excited that she's here. Thanks for being here, Katie. Of course. I'm so excited. And I guess I should just start with when Liv was four months old or just about four months old. Katie had just started when Liv was three months old and we went on our first trip together California. And, you know, our relationship with Katie was very new and, and we were new parents. Like we didn't know what we didn't know. And Liv still wasn't sleeping through the night. And when I say still, I don't mean that it was bad that she wasn't sleeping through the night at four months, but I just had no plan of getting her to sleep through the night. Cause I thought, well, I've always heard parents say that you just have sleepless nights. And I just thought that this was normal. Like, okay, we're up with our baby twice a night and this is how it's going to be. Like, this is my life. And I was okay with that. But when I realized that it didn't have to be like that, I was like, wait, what? So Katie came to us and she's like, I don't remember how you said it. (laughs) Very kindly and and just very open-mindedly was like, hey, would you guys like, you know, tools to get Liv sleeping through the night? Because here we are traveling on this fun trip to Stagecoach and we're not sleeping through the night. And then she had her for a couple nights. And I think she was like, all right, let's get this child sleeping through the night. So Tyler and I were like, yes, of course. Like, yes, we love advice. We we're very open to that. And and so Katie was like, all right. And I think it was like a week and she was sleep trained. Yeah, it was honestly I mean, she was so easy once we started it, but it was so funny because I had never done an overnight with her. We hadn't. It was our first trip. And I was just under the impression that she was a great sleeper because that's like, they're like, yeah, she's a great sleeper. And I was like, oh, cool. So there were a couple nights when Tyler was performing and they were going to be out late for stagecoach. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll keep her. No worries. And it was, I mean, two nights of it. And I was like, okay, we have got to figure something out because this kid is not a great sleeper. And I mean, in terms of just, I mean, she was a baby, of course, she was only almost four months, but it was just like my expectation as someone who is so like passionate about sleep and baby sleep. I just had such a different idea of what I was, what I was expecting versus reality. (laughs) And it was after our trip, we sat down just to talk about how the trip went, like our first trip, let's just talk about what was great, what wasn't. And I was I instantly was like, so about her sleep, (laughs) do we want to at least start exploring the ideas of getting her to sleep through the night? And they both jumped on it. And it honestly, I mean, she did great. 
I mean, it changed the game. Thank God Katie jumped in and said that because who knows how long that would have gone on. <laughs> but it's been so cool throughout having all of our kids because the tools that she gave us then we've gotten to use with Luca and Atlas and, you know, both boys were sleeping by what, three months? Yeah. And I think it was on the dot three months for both of them. And so with sleep, Katie has, I I feel like you've really just done your research. It's like you've taken the best advice from all the experts and compiled it into one. And that's what I love so much about all of your philosophies with kids. But you've really helped us in the sleep department all the way from newborn to toddler. And, you know, when they have sleep regressions and when they start waking up really early in the morning and what to do. And so we've we've gotten to maintain those sleep habits. So today, that's what we're here to talk about and pick your brain about. I'm excited. Me too. Because we'll probably have to work on now Liv is waking up at 7. Mm, it's more like 6.30 and just like walking into our room. And <laughs> there's been a couple mornings we've communicated to her like, okay, you've got to stay till your pink light comes on because mom and dad really need this time, but she just really thinks it's okay to just walk in and I'm like, this is not going to (laughs) happen. So that'll be our our thing that we tackle next. Amazing. Okay, Sleep Whisperer, let's do newborn sleep because I think that there's this idea that, first of all, you have a newborn, you bring them home. Where do you even start? Let's start there. But I also think there's this idea that when you have this schedule like as adults, when we have a schedule, like, okay, let's stick to this schedule. And I think there's something about having this like loose idea and framework. And obviously not every kid is going to fit perfectly onto the schedule. So how do you approach that? So let's start, you bring a baby home. What do you do? So when you first have, I mean, your tiny, tiny little newborn, I think the most important thing to do is to just get to know them, get to learn their little personalities, get to learn their sleep cues, their hunger cues, et cetera. A schedule super, super young, I mean, fresh from the hospital isn't going to be realistic because they at that point have no internal clock. Uh, The best thing you can do is just get to know them and get to figure out what does and doesn't work for them. And then just soak up the fact that they're sleeping 20 hours a day (laughs) and enjoy that as best as you can. Uh, I feel like a lot of people come straight home and they're like, okay, we have to get straight, straight into our routine and straight onto a schedule. And that's just not realistic for a baby developmentally. The things you can do though, I mean, there are absolutely sleep habits you can start from day one and that's creating a sleep environment that's conducive to good sleep and making sure that they're sleeping safely, you know, flat on their back in a crib. Just the little things like that, that will set them up for success when they are ready are the things that, I mean, can start from the very beginning. At what point do you start this quote unquote sleep training and and when do you implement the so-called eat, play, sleep? Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when do you implement that? When can you even start thinking about that? Yeah. So between six to 10 weeks is when you can start implementing that eat, play, sleep schedule where you're going to feed them. They might be awake for maybe an hour and then they're going to sleep until their next feeding, which is usually, you know, two and a half to three hours from their last one. It's a really it's a really awesome parent-friendly schedule to get your kid on or I should I shouldn't even say the word schedule, but a routine to get them on where you know when your baby's crying because they're hungry, you know when your baby's crying because they're tired and you know that the next time they wake up, they'll be ready to eat again. 
I, I feel like it kind of, it makes it just seamless, yes. <laughs> you know, when there's nothing more frustrating than having a crying baby. And you're like, I have no idea if you're hungry or if you're sleepy or if you're overstimulated or if you're understimulated or what the problem is right now. And once you just get into that, into that routine and into that eat, play, sleep, it's you, they kind of just, it works like clockwork on its own. You barely have to do any guessing. Yeah. I love it. You said that because I, that's what I realized afterwards when we did implement that right away with Luca and Atlas. I was like, oh my gosh, this is genius. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How did I not know this before? Of course I wouldn't know that, but it just made it so much easier. I don't want to say easy. Yeah, exactly. You know, nothing's really that easy with parenting, but um, it made it so much easier. And I like the thing about eat, play, sleep is that it yeah. naturally yeah. keeps the food away from the nap time, which is nice because then you're not getting into the habit of feeding yeah. them right before they go down. And the fact that you said that kids aren't born with this in, you know, clock, I forget what you said, that they don't know. I think when we have babies, all of a sudden they come out and it's like, wait, why are they up all night and sleep all during the day in this beginning time? And I don't know if this is true. What I was always told is that when you're pregnant and you're moving around, you're kind of rocking your baby to sleep all day long. So when they were inside of you, they were sleeping during the day. And when you're laying flat at night without that movement, they're up. So when they pop out, that's kind of what they're used to. Yeah, that makes complete sense. There's definitely a little learning curve. As any mom can tell you, diaper changes are part of our daily lives. I spend a lot of time, I mean a lot of time, changing diapers, thinking about diapers, checking on diapers, you name it, which is why we are so excited to partner with Pampers. Your baby's skin is so delicate and you want to make sure you're protecting it by keeping it dry and healthy. Well, I cannot recommend Pampers Swathers enough. They're absorbent even for overnight wear. Yay for no middle of the night leaks, which is so key. I mean, we all want one less mess and more sleep. And with their amazing absorbency, pamper swaddlers, wick away wetness and mess to help protect your baby skin and keep your little ones feeling dry and happy. Keeping your baby skin healthy requires a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet and pampers gives you that trusted protection. Pamper swaddlers have been a game changer for us. The absorbency means healthy skin and less diapers overall, which is just a win-win. Once you try them, you'll see why Pampers are the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Whether you're a mom of three or a mom-to-be, you'll love how Pampers keeps your baby or toddler dry and comfortable. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diaper and wipes purchase. You will love them. You know those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating? Like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. So then after the six to 10 week mark, once you're pushing 10 to 12 weeks, is a really great time to start stretching out those wake windows and work on like an hour and a half, an hour and a half awake, an hour and a half asleep. They're still eating every three hours. You're pushing those feeds every three hours during the day. 
because ideally you want to get as many daytime calories in as you can so that they're less overnight. I always say, you know, the phrase never wake a sleeping baby, never wake a sleeping baby at night. (laughs) But I encourage waking a sleeping baby during the day to make sure that they stay on that track so that you can maximize how much, how many ounces that they are getting during their awake time. And then to answer like the when to sleep train, right around 12 weeks, if you've hit the milestones that are 12 pounds, 12 weeks, and 24 ounces during a day, typically your baby should make it 12 hours at night. And that's the goal you're going for. Okay. I have so many questions on this topic, but before I ask a a sleep question, I just want to cover, you know, sleep safety. You had talked about that and swings, boppies, all those things. Like I would just want to clarify all of that because Again, when we first had Liv, we were like letting her nap in the Docatot. And I love the Docatot now, but I realize it's not for sleeping. (laughs) And same with the swing. We had her in the swing and I definitely got her to sleep in the swing. But can you just touch on that for a sec? Yes. So basically anything that is not labeled as a bassinet or a crib is not a safe sleep space. There's a lot of things that are labeled as sleepers or, you know, like an inclined sleep station and a docking station. And they are really misleading to a lot of parents because they read that and they think, great, they can sleep in this. This is awesome. There are so many, the the rock and play and the docatot and anything on an incline, anything that's going to hold your baby's head up, swings, all of those are great for setting your baby in for a few minutes, supervised, the docatot. If you read the uh, label, it's for supervised sleep only on a flat surface. So that means on the ground or on the floor next to your feet while you're doing laundry and you can watch your baby. But a lot of people think, oh, it's a sleep station. I can stick them in that. I can put it in their crib. I can put it on the couch. I can put it wherever. And any of those things are increasing your risk of positional asphyxiation, your baby's, I mean, their throat is like a little bendy straw. And if it bends even the tiniest bit, they can suffocate, which is terrifying. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. so that's why it's so important that your baby is sleeping flat on their back in their crib. That is the safest place for them to be. If you are not watching them like a hawk, I try to avoid swings. I try to avoid dock tots. I try to avoid rock and plays. It also just gets them in a habit of wanting to sleep at an incline or wanting to sleep with a swinging motion that then you're also going to have to face that battle when you go into sleep, sleep training. The companies definitely know how to pry on just our desperation for sleep, right? It's like every parent, when you have a baby, yes. is just desperate for sleep. And so there's always going to be so many new gadgets and things sold, right? So those rock and plays were really popular for a really long time and then came in the docatot. So there's always something of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I always tell people when they come to me and they're like, well, I can't get them to sleep anywhere else. They're used to sleeping in this. Is if you from from day one, if you start it, they're never going to know any different. You know, your baby's never going to know any different than sleeping alone on their back in their crib. They're never going to know any different than what is safe and what is the best spot for them to be. A lot of people, I feel like, like, well, they're so much more comfortable. They're so much more <laughs> snuggly in their docatot because it, you know, squishes them up on the side and they're just, they just feel like they're being held. And I mean, I understand, I understand the idea behind it. But it's they're, they're so much safer. And if they're swaddled tightly, they're going to feel the same hug. Yes. 
Oh, which you just hit on something that I meant to ask as well. For anyone that is asking or saying, again, because I've said this, <laughs> my child doesn't like to be swaddled. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people think that their babies don't like to be swaddled. And it is a lot of babies will fight the swaddle when they're first going in it. One, because they know that it means sleep is coming and that's just their natural urge is to fight that sleep. But two, it's just it's just a uh, process of getting comfortable and getting situated. If you swaddle your baby and they're fussing and you pick them up and you hold them tight against you and you rock them and you pat them for a second, nine times out of 10, they're going to adjust to that swaddle. They're going to find their comfortable spot and they are going to pass out. There's also so many swaddle options for babies that don't like traditional swaddles. You know, some babies love to sleep with their arms up and there are swaddles that still have the same effect, the same kind of, the that still serve the same purpose of quieting their startle reflex, but they can sleep with their arms up or they can sleep with one arm out or they can sleep, you know, with their arms to their side. I mean, again, similar to with all the a million gadgets that are there for sleep, there are a million swaddles that I promise you will find one that your baby loves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the the thing with the swaddle is that it calms down that startle reflux. So a lot of times our kid will be waking up and we can't understand why they're waking up. And part of it is just that startle reflux that it's calming down. And so giving them, they, I guess it comes into anything with parenting, which is supposed to like sleep training. I like to think about it as sleep learning, right? They need to learn how to get there and, and we can set mm -hmm. things up to help that learning process be so much easier. Yes. And like with a startle reflex, when I try to explain it to people that, you know, say that their kid doesn't like to be swaddled, it's that feeling of when you're falling asleep and when you're dreaming, you know, when you feel like you're falling off of a cliff and you jolt yourself awake, yeah. you just fell in your dream. That is the exact sensation your baby has. And they have that so often. That is just like their natural development that they're going through. And they don't lose that until around four months. So for those first four months, I mean, that's happening to your baby every 15 minutes. So that's where you get those, those parents that are like, well, they fell asleep great. The second I set them in their crib, you know, they, they jolted asleep and they were awake. And it's that, that scare is enough to pop them out of their sleep cycle completely and wake them up. Because just like it does for us, where you jump up in bed and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? That happens to them so often that when you get your baby used to a swaddle, I, it negates that, I mean, completely. I've been starting my day with Four Sigmatics Mushroom Coffee with Lion's Mane instead of regular coffee, and I've got to tell you, it helps me focus like nothing else. I love how much energy it gives me without that jittery feeling or, you know, that midday crash that can happen with coffee. All Four Sigmatic products are organic and plant-based, plus every batch is third-party tested to ensure its purity and safety, so you know you're getting the highest quality coffee and mushrooms possible. Now you're probably thinking, like I did when I first heard about it, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? No, not at all. It tastes just like coffee you love. It brews dark and nutty and it's absolutely just delicious. I'm obsessed with it. With over 20,000 five-star reviews, you know it's time to try it out. As a mom, I'm running on coffee and this is my absolute favorite and new go-to. Four Sigmatic backs their products with a 100% money back guarantee. So love every sip or get your money back. 
And to sweeten the deal, we've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for Meaningful Living listeners. Get up to 40% off on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim the deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash living. This offer is only for Meaningful Living listeners and is not available on their regular website. You'll save up to 40% and get free shipping. So go right now to foursigmatic.com slash meaning and fuel your mornings with some delicious mushroom coffee. Promise you, you'll love this one. You know, I know our kids would always kind of wake up after that 45 minute mark. And there were some times where I was like, oh, gosh, if I could just get them to sleep that hour and a half. And thank God you were there to tell me about sleep cycles and connecting sleep cycles. And and I was like, oh my gosh, every parent needs to hear this because if you hadn't have told me that, I would have never known. Can you share about that? Yeah. So a lot of people have the issue where they're trying to do the eat, play, sleep schedule, and they're trying to get their baby to do that hour and a half awake, hour and a half asleep but their little ones only sleep 40 to 45 minutes. And every time they're like, their nap will only be 40 to 45 minutes. They'll never nap a full hour and a half. Most babies aren't going to naturally nap a full hour and a half. They're, the way their sleep cycles work is they rotate through sleep cycles just like we do throughout the night where you wake up, you toss and turn for a minute, you might drift off back, drift off back to sleep. You might not. For babies, they go through that every 45 minutes. So when you're putting them down for that hour and a half chunk, a big majority of babies are going to wake up after 40, 45 minutes. That is when it is key to do anything you can to save that nap. So give them a few minutes, see if they settle back down, see if they'll fall back asleep on their own. If not, I encourage, especially when you're teaching them how to nap for that full hour and a half and how to connect those sleep cycles, they need assistance a lot of the time. So go in and pat their back and rock them back and forth a little bit. Try to keep them in their crib if you can, but give a passy, whatever you can to kind of soothe them back into sleep before they come too far, too far out of it into awake. It's just like if you get a cat nap and you feel like you're ready to go, they have that little cat nap and they feel like they're ready to go and they're absolutely not ready to go. <laughs> and then, then you end up 45 minutes later, you have the baby that's falling asleep on a bottle and you can't get a full feed in and then you feel like your whole day is thrown off just because of a sleep cycle misconnection. I feel like that was Liv's whole first three months of life until we met you. <laughs> just that frustration of like, oh my gosh, she's not eating now. And it, yeah, it was a struggle. That is definitely, I think the most common thing that I get asked is, what do I do? My baby only will sleep 40 minutes. My baby will only sleep 45 minutes. And I mean, I am serious when I say, especially when you're teaching it, like, do whatever you can. If you have to put them in a carrier and hold them for the next 45 minutes just to get them into that routine of sleeping that hour and a half and knowing that they're going to sleep that long until it's time to eat again, it will, once they figure it out, it will change your life. Completely. And I think that with sleep, every baby is different. Every baby has a different temperament and really there's no one size fits all, right? And I think it's a really personal thing for parents. But I really think there's this school of thought that it's kind of this, when you're talking about sleep learning or sleep training, that it's either cry it out or do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And and just kind of watch and wait. And I think that's a mischaracterization of a lot of what you teach and and what it means to sleep train, because I think that cry it out method where you just 
put your kid down at seven o'clock and then just leave and never check on them again, no matter how much they're crying. I really do think that model is outdated. And when we talk about sleep training, that's not what we mean anymore. So can you explain what sleep training looks like? Yeah. So it's definitely not just abandoning your child for 12 hours and hoping they make it through the night. Obviously, kids, babies rely on your presence and comfort and knowing that you're there, like you are their one, their one constant and their one safety. So we are not wanting to, you know, abandon anybody. For me, a big thing is knowing the difference between fussing and crying. So if I have a baby who I'm trying to get sleeping through the night and they wake up and they're doing the little moaning and groaning and grunting and and squiggling, I am not going to intervene. <laughs> there is no chance I'm doing a thing until they get to the point where they start to actually cry. If they're crying, then you go in, ideally keep them in their crib, but pat them, reassure them, let them know you're there, offer a pacifier. My my go-to move is to put your hand on their chest and just kind of shush and wiggle them back and forth in their bed, in their swaddle. Worst case scenario, you know, if if that's not settling them, pick them up, rock them, same thing, just whatever it takes to get them back to sleep. But a lot of the time, I think parents intervene right at that first sign of of noise or that first that first cry, that first anything. And I think, I mean, what I had to do with Haley was I had to literally make her set a timer for, because I'd be like, okay, wait five minutes, like turn the monitor off for five minutes, set a timer for five minutes. And then if, see what he's doing in five minutes, see if he's, if he's crying or if he's falling back asleep, just like us, like I said earlier, when you wake up and you're tossing and turning and you're trying to figure out what you don't even know what time it is, you've woken up, you're like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what time it is. You check your phone, you go back to sleep. That that movement and that stirring, that is your that is your baby checking their phone to see if it's time to wake up or time to go back to sleep. They are waiting to see if you're going to come in there and get them up and feed them or not. And if you don't intervene too quickly, the chances are they're going to put themselves right back to sleep. And that one time you do, they remember <laughs> that one time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it takes weeks to get back in the schedule. Uh I feel like it. even when they're little, they know. They're like, oh, that worked. Yeah. So my mom's going to come in right when I start crying. Okay, cool. It is It is crazy. They know. And it's all yeah. like a laddered approach because when you go in, I love that you said keep them in the crib at first or the bassinet, wherever they are, and just kind of rock them mm-hmm. a little bit because there's a big difference of going in and giving a feeding right away versus trying to shush them and help them get Mm -hmm. down. And if we don't, we need to give that room or that opportunity for learning. And so it's kind of giving them the tools to figure out how to self-soothe. I mean, I think we all need a bit of, I think we all need a little sleep learning. I need it. I need someone to say, Jess, it's time to put your phone away. Jess, it's time to go to sleep now. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, I for sure need that. Tyler tries. He's like, okay, are, are you done? Like, <laughs> are we going to go to bed? Are we going to watch this episode? Like, when are you going to put your phone away? I'm like, this is my catch-up time. <laughs> this is the only time I get in the afternoon or evening to catch up. So, Said by a true mom.
Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our favorite vitamins, Ritual. You've heard us talk about it before and we just love Ritual so much. Did you know that over 97% of women age 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Literally each time I hear that statistic, it just blows my mind. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diet of women ages 18 and older. It's formulated specifically to help fill nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. And they're delivered straight to your door, which means it's convenient and just one less thing that we have to think about as moms in our mommy-filled brains. You guys know how picky I am about my vitamins and what vitamins I recommend, and Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the Non-GMO Project, traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clergy's communication. No shady stuff whatsoever. I am a huge fan of Ritual vitamins and their ingredients, especially for busy moms on the go. A multivitamin is an easy supplement to add to your day so we can stay our best selves. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash living and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com forward slash living. People, go get these vitamins. You will thank us. Let's talk early morning waking. So your kid goes down and they're sleeping through the night, but you're getting like a 5.30 a.m. wake up. What do we do? Mm -hmm. So the first thing to do in that situation, ideally, like we've spoken about before, is give them a minute, see if they settle, see see what's going on. If they're screaming, go on in, try to get them calm again in their crib, see if you can calm them that way, offer a pacifier. If that doesn't work and and you are holding them, change your diaper, there's nothing that they need and you can tell that they are starving, that usually is a sign to me that they haven't gotten enough calories during the day to get them all the way through the night. So if you have a baby, I mean, a lot of babies are naturally early risers, but if you have a baby that no matter what you're doing, they're not going to calm back down until they can eat, that usually signifies that they have not eaten enough. So what I always recommend, which people feel strongly one way or the other about, but what I've found works really well is to switch for a while to offering a dream feed at night right before you go to bed. So if you're wanting to get your kid to sleep until 7 and right now they're going to bed at 7, but they're waking up at 530, they're waking up at 6, you're going to bed, you know, at 10, 11, and you're now having to wake up at 530 or 6. Start offering them one last bottle right before you go to sleep and see if that will give them the push they need to make it all the way through till the morning. And when you say dream feed, like, can you just explain that for anyone that's like, what is a dream feed? Yes. So I am talking, you are going in in the dark of night. You pick up your baby, still swaddled. You keep them all wrapped up and you feed them. I mean, If you're bottle feeding, you give them a full bottle, or if you're breastfeeding, you feed them until they won't eat and put them back down without disturbing them, without turning lights on. It's just like a top off to push them through until the morning. I always felt like it was 007 style. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You sneak in there as quiet as you can. (laughs) Totally. I feel like there were so many times that you and I have like crawled in the rooms to like, 
I don't know, yeah. even just like move past the urge. Yeah. Well, that's something I say too when when trying to get them to sleep through the night. It's so important to not engage at night. So even when you're going in, if you have your baby, they've made it to that that 12 pounds, 12 weeks, 24 ounces, and you're trying to start implementing sleeping through the night, you're going to start pushing feeds. So you're going to start pushing them 15 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time. When you go in at night, I joke like don't even make eye contact. <laughs> do what you have to do, but don't engage. The second they see you look at them, they're like, hey, hey, mom, is that you? What are you doing? Like, look away. <laughs> Keep the lights as low as you can. Don't turn stuff on. Like, learn how to see in the dark. <laughs> Just figure out whatever you need to do to make such such a like such a huge distinction between day and night to teach them. I mean, I guess like this goes back to what we were saying earlier, but the internal clock thing. Really teaching them that nighttime is nighttime and daytime is daytime, even before they're fully you know sleeping through the night. When you're going in at night, keeping it as quiet, as dark, as calm as possible. And then during the day when you're waking them up, being as obnoxious and bright and cheerful as possible really helps uh, teach them that difference early on. It reminds me of the, when we were dream feeding Bryce and Josh was going to do it for the first time. And I was like prepping him like, all right, you're going to go in and he's probably going to open his eyes and you're not going to look at him. He's like, what do you mean? I'm not going to look at him. Like uh, if he looks at me, how can I not look at my baby? I'm like, whatever you do, just don't make eye contact. And- <laughs> He was like, you're just, you are off your rocker, Jess. Like this, I don't even know what's going on. And then he did it and he realized, he's like, wait a minute. He was awake. His eyes opened. I didn't engage. And then he went back to sleep. It's magical. Exactly. It's so hard to when they're being really cuddly and cute and you just want to look so bad and you can feel them staring at you and you're like, I refuse. I won't do it. (laughs) Oh, well, on that note, what about when we, when they get to toddlerhood and they're walking into your bedroom. And <laughs> what about those early morning waking? Okay. So this is like going to be just the tough love part, but you just walk them back a million times. And if it takes a million times, if it doesn't work after a million times, do it a million and one times. Like you just, it's one of those things that sometimes it's easier for the parents to just be like, whatever, just climb in here, sit here, do whatever you need to. It's easier than me having to like then get up and go put you back to bed over and over. But if you genuinely, genuinely want them to stay in their bed until like they're like we use the hatch light. So until the light comes on, it's just that matter of you are annoying them so much because every time they walk out, you just go walk them back and you just go walk them back and you say, I'll see you when your light comes on. It's not time to wake up. I'll see you when your light comes on over and over and over and they will get so over it. (laughs) I promise you, they will not want to come back out. And then obviously like rewards, positive. We're huge on just encouraging positive behavior and like talking it up the night before is another huge part of toddlers mentally preparing them for everything. So just constantly, hey, tomorrow, if you stay in your room until your light comes on, you know, you're going to get two pom-poms in the morning in your pom-pom jar, or we're going to find a sticker or we're going to spend, if you stay in your room until your light comes on, we're going to spend the first 20 minutes of the morning, just you and me coloring or anything like that, that just gets them motivated to do it. They'll do it. Or with Luca, he was a screamer. He liked to scream because 
he knew that we heard him on the monitor and he was like, let me just see how loud I can scream until I come in. And it wasn't a cry scream. Like he just yells for fun. He would just yell. <laughs> like he wasn't crying. He wasn't upset. No. He was just, he would just do his wah, wah. Oh my gosh. And it did get us sometimes. But I love how you said the walking back. And I, I can't stress that enough because that's what's actually worked is there's times when I've told Liv, okay, it's time to go back to bed. It's time to go back to bed. She's not going to do it. But the walking back, she it it really works. And even recently, Tyler and I have had like some come to Jesus talks where we're like, okay, let's get on the same page here. When she comes in here, let's stick to this narrative. Like, all right, we'll walk her back. And also this is our quiet time. Like mommy and daddy need this quiet time. If we don't get that, like I might not be so fun later on. <laughs> so that's, that's really helped is just like making sure we're on the same page because there's mornings that Tyler might be like, oh, well, I'm already awake and I'm, you know, going to make my coffee anyways. It's not a big deal. But then that signifies to her, well, oh, dad said it's okay today. So why can't I do it tomorrow? And so really getting on that same page has, has helped us because again, same with me, there's mornings that I'm like, oh, it's not so bad today. Like Tyler's traveling. I'm up. I've already had my alone time. But Katie, you said something early on when we met you. And it's like, try not to start anything that you're going to have to break the habit of later on. And so I just always think of that when these situations come up, like, oh, it's really cute to have this morning time, but like I can have morning time with her at 730. It doesn't have to be at 645 when, you know, in future days I might be getting ready for something or needing a shower and having like my God time in the morning. And, and so that's like always just repeating in my head. Yeah. And one of the things, like, especially with a kid like Liv, who she's such a logical little thinker that I tell her, you know, if Tyler and Haley are traveling and I'm staying there before she goes to bed, I tell her, I need you to stay in your room until your light comes on because that is, I know you're there in there and that's how I know you're safe. And that's like a big thing for her. Like she's all about safety. <laughs> and I'm like, if you're not in your room when your light, until your light comes on, I'm not going to know that you're out here. I'm not going to know what if there's an emergency then I'm not going to know where you are. And I need to make sure I know where you are. And that's how we can all keep you safe is we know you're in your room until 730 because God forbid something goes wrong and you don't know where your kids are. So that brings me to kind of the toddler bed transition. Full disclosure, Bryce is three and a half and he is still in his crib because he's shown literally no disinterest in getting out of his crib. And so I'm not rushing to make the transition. So partially this will help me when I'm getting there. But when we have a baby that's in a crib or a kid, I should say, that's in a crib and you're making the transition to the toddler bed, when and how do we do that? So transitioning into a toddler bed, obviously every kid is different and it's going to be different for every kid. I always say to wait until it is unsafe for your kid to be in a crib. So if you have a kid who's climbing out and at this point they're at a bigger risk of falling out of their crib and getting hurt than they are being in a bed, it's a good sign that you're ready to move them into a bed. But before you do that though, you need to make sure that that room is so safe and so baby proofed and so ready for them. A good thing to do is like putting a baby gate on their bedroom door so that way you know, if they get up in the night and they're opening the door, you can still hear them. You can still see them, but they cannot escape again. You know, going back to the safety thing. I mean, some kids are going to get in their, in their bed and never leave. That was Liv. I, she switched to a toddler bed when 
or to a, I mean, a big kid bed, not even a toddler bed, a full-size bed when she was sick with Haley one Christmas. And I mean, she has never been the kid that you have to worry about climbing out and causing trouble. Luca <laughs> has tried <laughs> a couple <laughs> times to sleep in a bed and he is just, it's oh. it, it's more drama than it's worth at this point. He just, you just don't know what he's going to do. So unless you can trust your child and make sure that their room is such a safe space that if they do in the middle of the night, you're asleep and you have no idea that they're out messing around in their room, unless you can assure that that's going to be safe, try to keep them in a crib as long as possible. Another big thing is preparation, getting them really excited about it, getting them excited about staying in their bed, rewards for when they do stay in their bed until their light comes on, giving them stuff that they can safely play in bed with, you know, like soft books or stuffed animals. That's always been a huge thing is when you wake up, if your light's not on, you can play with these things in your bed. Like you can stay in here and you can still, you can play so that they kind of discourages that need to go roaming around and find something to do. (laughs) But definitely wait until your child shows the signs that they're ready and has that interest and that want. Usually it's easier for your second and third born because they want to follow suit. They want to be a big kid. So I do feel like, especially with the boys sharing a room, Atlas will probably be ready for a toddler bed by the time that Luca is. <laughs> like it'll be a very sure. similar situation there. But right now it's, you have to have a level of trust with your toddler. Totally. And actually there was two things. Bryce was, he tried to get out of his crib one time and it was like when I was peak chemo time. And I was like, there's no way that Josh Solo is going to figure out how to get this kid in a toddler bed. And he was too young at that point. He was really young. So he has like a flat part in the back of his crib. And so still to this day, I turned his crib around so that there's really only one little side that has bars showing. And that's just how he thinks his crib is now. But I think it's a good thing. (laughs) I put him in a sleep sack and I turned around his crib and he's never attempted. I mean, obviously we'll do it soon, but I do think it's good to think about, is your kid actually ready? You know, is there, is a sibling coming along or is there some sort of major transition in your family or anything major? Obviously during chemo was not the time I was going to transition him out because I didn't think he'd be that successful and he was too young. So I love that, Katie. Yeah. And you have to make sure you're ready too. (laughs) That's true. And what about when are babies technically ready? I don't know if that's actually the right way to say that, but when are they ready for a blanket or a lovey? And when when is it safe to implement those? Yeah. So the alone on their back in their crib is the American Academy of Pediatrics standard until one. So at one, you can start introducing pillows, blankets, loveys, whatever. A big thing that's worked well the Hubbard kids is at one is when we take away the passies and swap it out for a lovey. And they've all been really into that. They've all, they've all got excited about picking out which lovey they want. And at one, they're still so, they're still so young that like losing the passy wasn't a huge transition for any of them because it was just, you know, those nights, the, I, I think it took about a day and a half for each of them to realize there was no pacifier anymore. And all we would do is go in and be like, here's your lovey, snuggle with your lovey. And they picked it up so quickly. So after one, you are safe to put all of that stuff back in their crib. But until then, a boring crib is a safe crib. Safety is obviously everything. And Katie, I just love the way that 
you have taken this approach and and adapted it for each one of our kids because like you said each kid is different and all all three of our kids really are so different and but you've you've helped us get them all sleeping through the night and sleeping consistently now and so we're obviously very grateful for that and i hope that everyone has benefited from this episode because i surely have benefited from all of Katie's tools and I don't know what I would do without you. (laughs) Thank you. Same. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. It'd mean the world to us if you'd take a second to rate, review, and follow the show and tell your friends about it. It's the best way to support the show. And if you have any questions you want us to cover on the show, call our voicemail line at 866-444-FULL. We want to hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com for resources, courses, and to shop our favorites. Can't wait to see you next week. 